Welcome back to the Office Marketing Podcast with Mike Swigert, the podcast all about sales tips, mindset, and value bombs. Five questions to help make your day more productive and learn a thing or two. Here is your host, best-selling author, Mike Swigert. Hey everybody, thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. I've got a really a spectacular guest today, um, and that's not um, overstating it. Sid Meadows has been in the interior space, in the furniture space, so many amazing positions throughout. Um, on the manufacturer side, uh, dealer side, dealing with enterprise clients like Ernst & Young and Delta and Coca-Cola and Capital One. We'll get into a little bit of that. Um, he's been vice president of sales for large furniture manufacturers. But what he's doing now, he's taking all of that. And near, now for almost the last four years, he's running his own company, Embark, that actually focuses on performance coaching, business strategy, all kinds of great things. And we're going to try to dig out some great tips from you today, Sid. And, uh, but first, really, it's great to see you again. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Well, Mike, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on and I'm excited for this conversation and congratulations to you on the success of your podcast. I really enjoy listening to them. Well, th thanks. You know, it, it's been fun. I was on your podcast last, maybe nine months ago. And, yeah. and it was really great. So you, if, if you're not listening to Sid's podcast, you're missing out. So I'm gonna put the link of your, your podcast in the show notes and we'll make sure um we share share uh audiences but sid why don't you talk us through i'm so impressed you and i probably first i was at a hayworth dealer nine years ago eight years ago and we crossed paths and i remember seeing you i think we were doing a mock-up somewhere and i remember thinking that guy's cool like that guy he's smart he's chill he's just so exudes competence right so why don't you kind of share people your path of just being awesome. Well, thank you. So my path to being awesome, wow, I don't know that I have a really good answer <laughs> to that. But, you know, my career started in this business uh, right out of college and uh, started at a dealership. Uh, it happened to be a Hayworth dealership. My first real job was at a Hayworth dealership. And then I just kind of knew that that wasn't the only stop I wanted to make. So um, I kept growing and learning, went to different dealerships, started selling healthcare products, and then I got recruited by Hayworth. And I worked at Hayworth for many years and had an awesome career at Hayworth, which is probably one of the highlights. Then I went back to a dealership and ran a Technion dealership as a startup for several years. And then I found myself at AIS. And I spent 10 years at AIS, uh, ending my career there um, as a senior vice president for sales, leading half the country in sales. Um, and it was a great time because AIS was a small company when I started and a much larger company when I left after 10 years. And so you know, that journey has been full of mistakes, full of learning and full of growing. And uh, it probably wasn't until recently that I fully understood what all that really meant. Okay. What did you understand? Just, it's a, what's the epiphany, Sid? So, you know, um, reflection is the epiphany, right? And reflecting back on your career and what you did and you know, a lot of times the mistakes you made and asking yourself, what did I learn from this? What did I take away from this? I think that especially through the last 10 to, you know, the 10 years in the last 10 to 15 years of my corporate job, we're so focused on growth and sales and growing businesses that I never actually stopped to ask myself, what am I learning? 
how am I growing and what am I doing better? How am I being better tomorrow than today? Because I was so busy. I mean, you have to admit here, I was traveling, I like to say six days a week, uh, you know, five weeks of the month. And so I don't know that I had a tremendous amount of time to reflect on it. So yeah. thinking back now is really asking myself those questions. What did I learn from that experience and how did I grow through that experience? I love that, Sid. You know, he kind of reminds me of a Jim Rohn. Um, he doesn't, he has no idea who I am, but he's absolutely one of my mentors. And I started listening to Jim Rohn, I think when I was about a senior in high school. And one of his quotes kind of ties into what you just said. It's like, it's not what you get, it's what you become. But you were just kind of, you were becoming without even, uh, you, you were sort of uh, unintentionally, intentionally becoming more about all these steps. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind kind of digging because in this audience, we've got all kinds of different people that might be at the dealer side, might be at large manufacturer side, and maybe in, on the uh, mid-market um, side. So I'm just going to uh, sort of quick ask questions sure. of what does it take to be excellent at each one of these stops? And I'm going to start with like the large manufacturer, right? I, mean, I know you're at Hayworth, three, $4 billion company. I mean, a really large player in, in the field, right? Um, what does it take if you're work, working for a very large brand? What does it take to be successful Maybe not necessarily playing the corporate game because that's a whole other podcast, but like to be successful selling a large brand, what does it take? So I'm going to say understanding the value prop um, of the large brand. What is it that they bring to the table? What is it they offer? How do they differentiate themselves? What makes them the right choice? Because in large brands, so many of them do the same thing and sell the same types of products regardless of what it, the product actually is. I mean, it could be a technology product or a hardware product doesn't have to be furniture. I think it's super important in that in that large brand to know what differentiates you and what makes you special. Mm, let's keep okay. All right, next one. Now we're gonna make a jump to the dealer. Again, a lot of that can be perceived as uh, commoditized, but from a dealer perspective, what makes a uh, what makes a, a specific dealer extraordinary? Well, that's a really good question. So, what makes a specific dealer extraordinary? Um, my answer to that, Mike, is going to be it's the dealer that focuses on solving the problems for their customers and not selling product. The dealer that only sells product, I believe, is the dealer that's going to be left behind as our world continues to evolve and change. And the dealer that is truly solving the problem for their customer is the dealer that is going to thrive in 2021 and beyond. And because it's more than just product. What we do is a lot more than just product. And I think that dealer, the dealer market specifically really has to look at that. Okay. All right. And the last one. Now we're in the mid-market world because your experience at AIS and, and I hope the people at AIS aren't mad because I, I kind of see them in that, you know, that mid-tier. I know they got some extraordinary, extraordinary products there too. So um, in, in that tier, what does it take to be, you know, to, to stand out as a manufacturer at that level? That's a really good question. And I don't think that AIS will be mad at you because they are a strong mid-market company. They know their value prop really, really well, and they leverage that value prop. Um, and owning that mid-market category is you know, what their goal is, right? And they do a really, really good job at it. So if I'm a mid-market dealer, um, what I would say that would make, I mean, I'm going to stick with, I'm going to add to it, but I'm going to stick with this solution, like solve the problem for your customer. But I'm going to add to it 
is know who you're competing against. Know your market. I mean, you've got to, that mid-market dealer has to know who their competition is, what they sell, and how they go to market. Competitive information is undervalued um, in our industry. And not knowing, really knowing who you're competing against is a detriment to a lot of companies. And that includes um, the brands that they sell, how they go to market, the markets they cover, and things of that nature. And the other thing that I would say, so I'll add a third one to it. Um, don't be afraid for that particular dealer type. Don't be afraid to say no. If your sweet spot is 5,000 square, 5, square feet or less of corporate real estate or 200 employees or less, own that market. Don't chase the whales. Don't go after the 5,000 workstation project just because it's there. If it doesn't fit your business model and business strategy, say no to it and leverage that and own what it is that you do and do really well. And I've met a lot of dealers that do understand that and are thriving and are having great success because they know their market, they know the projects that work for them. Mm. It's so nice. It's, it's easier to say when you're company is established and you have a little money in the bank and everything's great. But I remember being a, you know, a 31 year old sales guy with a two year old and another one coming and I'm going, I don't care if I'm chasing minnows, whales, sharks, anything. I just wanted to stick my, my claws into it and bring it home. You know, I mean, there's, it, it's, you know, it's also circumstantial, right? Well, but what's the de the detriment to that strategy and the way people think like that? And, and it is how a lot of salespeople think, right? Sure, like sure. Going after it is most people don't stop to think the cost associated with it. And how much is it actually costing you as an individual or your business for you to chase something that you've got maybe less than 5% chance to win? And how could you take those efforts, time and money and invest them somewhere else and be more successful? Because large projects, Mike, as you know, they're a race to the bottom as it relates to profitability for any organization. So, yeah, you might go chase a 5,000 workstation project, but and, and you lose it, and you spend all this time and money doing it for, I don't know, a single-digit margin. But you could go down the street and find three projects of 100 workstations or less and make five times the margin that you would have made in the big one. And it's a lot more profitable. They're a lot easier to do and a lot more fun. And so and then you've expanded your customer base from one really large one to, to potentially four to five new. So uh, smart about it. Yeah. Well, Pat Dye, you know, I'm an Auburn graduate. So Pat Dye says, I won't hold I, that against you. <laughs> he so, says, <laughs> I, he said actually in a press conference, someone asked him some questions and he goes, well, you know, hindsight's 50 50. <laughs> and I, I'll think about that because now that at 50, I can see that and, and it makes it makes a lot of sense. But to go to your point, you know, the single people don't understand. Yes, it's a it's an enterprise project. Large manufacturers love it. You win that 5000 seat job at a seven margin. Great. But those three jobs that are at the, the, the 100 seat jobs that you can do at a higher margin, it might sound like the sales company is just trying to make more money off you. And I will tell you, no let the sales rep make money because they will show up on a Saturday morning at 6.30 a.m. They'll be at every walkthrough. They'll change out a chair. I've, I've done jobs where I was able to do it at a slightly higher margin and maybe they totally forgot to order a chair for the receptionist. And I just made a chair appear. I mean, it really happened because we had enough margin to be like, you know what, I got, let me get that. I got that. 
Yeah, Mike, I think that's one of the things that most corporate and users, when they're bidding for these, don't actually realize that there is a cost here of diminishing return. Because the lower you force the dealer to go in their margin in order to be competitive, um, the, the, the service levels that you're giving up, right? Because the, the, the dealer cannot provide, though they want to, they cannot provide this, you know, unbelievable service experience at single digit margins. So as the margins continue to come down, the dealer has to give up certain things that they would normally provide to a customer that they maybe might be selling something at a higher margin. That's with anything, right? So there's a diminishing return here that happens that, yeah, you might be getting the lowest possible price, but is for the customer, is that really the best value and the smartest decision for your organization when you force other businesses into unhealthy propositions financially because we need, we, we want businesses to succeed and to be, and be healthy and be profitable and do that, they have to make money. I, I agree. I remember... I remember I won a, a, all the ancillary. I don't, I don't want to name the beverage company based here in Atlanta, but they were a, a very, very large. And I won like 70 floors of ancillary, right? At about three, 350 a floor. So it's a pretty nice project, right? It was a multi-year project. So we did the first couple of floors and they go, okay, well, we need your team to come down and barcode and inventory everything now. This episode of the Office Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Fusion Advisory. We help commercial contractors generate leads online profitably. Check us out at fusion-advisory.com. And I was like, come on, man. Like, we just like, I think we did it at like a six or a five and I'm making literally nothing on this job. And, you know, I'm having to go down to the job site and learn how to barcode and, you know, and, and do things. And I'm like, it goes back to your thing. I would have been much better off not winning, a, you know, a stitch of that job. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, okay. Let's get into Embark because one, you're, you are one thing that helps us gravitate toward each other is you're such a, um, a just a really beautiful thinker i really love the way your mind works i love listening to your podcast you're you live in a world of reciprocity and generosity so why don't we talk about that what are you doing with embark and how do you help companies so you know being an entrepreneur um when you start nobody tells you that it's a bumpy road right they want you to believe it's a smooth paved straight road that goes straight uphill right from zero to gazillions, and it's not. It's a curvy, bumpy, up and down ride that has been really, really amazing. And like a lot of small businesses, we've had to make strategic pivots over the years in order to pivot to what the services are that our customers really are resonating with and what we want to do and not follow shiny objects. And we all get caught in this shiny object syndrome, like, oh, this is a great idea, let's do this. So where we're at today, um, is we provide um, business strategy and planning for um, small to mid-sized businesses. Um, and that can be a manufacturer, a dealer, distributor, um, you know, anybody for that matter, design firm, architectural firm, whatever it is, it's business strategy. And then the focus of that is helping the company grow. So it's helping you grow as a business. And also my, it's really what we do is it's with that voice that ask you the questions that nobody in your business wants to ask you because maybe they're afraid, especially now people are afraid to speak up for fear of losing their job with all the layoffs and the reductions that are happening. So we are that voice that helps you really navigate through where you are, where you want to go and how you're going to get there. So that's the first service. And the second service we provide 
is coaching. I'm a certified high performance coach. I'm a certified professional coach. And so coaching takes on many forms, both individual and group. So we can do problem solving and, and looking at challenges in your business and solving the problem as a group through coaching slash facilitation. We can do high performance coaching with uh, a group. I've seen groups transform and build stronger, better relationships through high performance coaching. So individual and group coaching, a lot of fun. I really enjoy that aspect of it. And I really enjoy the transformation that I get the privilege to watch as my clients move from where they were to where they wanted to be. So those are the two predominant services that we have. All right. I'm, I'm digging deep because I think it. you're, here's the thing, Sid. I think you're right. I think there is a time where business owners, you know, they just need someone to be like, Hey, are you asking yourself the right questions? All right. So let's get into that. You know, what are some questions that if I'm a, let's just talk specifically, I'll, I'll make it a little clearer, right? I'm a dealership, right? I'm a dealership. I kind of grinded through last year. It seems like decommissioning was bigger than anything for, for furniture dealerships, right? Um, I'm going into 2021. What are some questions that a furniture dealership needs to be asking themselves as they're trying to plan out for 21 and going into 22? So the first thing I would say is meet up the right people. Are you surrounded by the right people? Um, do you have the right resources? Um, I mean, people is such a big component of what we do. And, and especially when you think about how task intensive quoting a job is and selling furniture is, do you have the right people? And if you don't have the right people, you've got to replace the right people. That doesn't mean necessarily hiring a, a full-time employee. It maybe means leveraging the gig economy and maybe leveraging contract workers that are available to you, right? So do you have the right people is probably one of the first questions I would ask them. And then I would want to explore their value prop. Like, let's talk about your value proposition. Tell me how you position yourself in the market. And then what are you doing to own that, right? How do you own that? And then one of the things I love to, to do is ask them about marketing. How are you showing up? Where are you showing up? And then how are you engaging your community in the right way to really drive business? And we get really tactical, like, you know, with some, like I have some dealer principals that I work with that are also sellers. So they're actively selling and we dive deep into like, what's their lead strategy? What are you doing with the leads? How do you disperse the leads? How are you managing your people and their leads? And without micromanaging the process, but how are you leading, I guess is a better way to say it. How are you leading that process in order to ensure that the sales funnel for you, as well as your people constantly have a flow of projects coming in and out? So if you're going to do that exercise, Sid, like, where do you recommend they do that? Like if I'm a, whether it's bringing, you know, someone like you in to do it, or if it's just a company, you know, doing it internally with their leadership, like about how much time would you to do this discovery session, this discovery planning session? Like sure. how much time should a company set aside to do something like this? Well, depending on what they're trying to do discovery about, but I mean, a true discovery session, let's say, to talk about our sales strategy or our value proposition, um, the best ones are the ones that are a half a day. Half a day. Right? Yeah, I like that. Really get into it. I mean, before COVID, it was we're in, a, we're in an office or a conference room with a whiteboard and a bunch of sticky notes and flip charts, and we're really mapping it out. Today, it's virtual, and we're using tools like Mural and things like that in order to brainstorm and collaborate together with it. 
And but I mean, the best ones are the ones that are at least a half a day long to really dive in to get a deliverable of what is my value prop? How are we going to market? Who are we targeting? And how are we going to do it? I love it. I love it. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, and again, I'm I, I have to say this in almost all my Sid's not paying to be on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of his. I'm going to put his links in because if your company is planning for 21 and 22, reach out to him, pick his brain, have him come out, help you help, have him help facilitate it. Sid, I couldn't imagine um, trying to do all of this just from scratch. So it's nice that you, that you're offering these services. Let's get into coaching. Okay. Sure. What are, what's the biggest challenge or weakness or just sort of gap we're seeing, I, we could probably ask this for each age group, you know, like we could probably say like, what's the biggest gap? Why don't we go with us? Right. I'm 50. Yeah. You're 37. You know, we're going to go with, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that love and support of being, not being over 50. So. I know if, if anybody looks at Sid's, um, Sid's first job with Hayworth started, uh, 20, 23, 22 years ago about that. If we do our, our math, right. Um, and Sid, you and I graduated from high school about three years apart. Um, just a couple, you got me by a little, but Hey, let's get it. You know what? Why don't we do it that way? Why don't we just say like our generation, right? We're generation, whatever's after uh, baby boomers. Um, we're that generation. What's the biggest gap in our, where do we need coaching? Where do we need to be kind of coached up? It's a great question. And I don't know that, that I would actually categorize it by age group, right? Or by a very specific thing that says this age group needs this. Okay. I think coaching is something that, A, it's very personal. Um, B, it's very intimate because it's a one-to-one -one conversation with people. Um, and it's typically either one-to-one -one or one degree. But even in a group, it's still very intimate, right? Because you're sharing things that maybe you haven't shared before. But the way that I might actually categorize it, Mike, is coaching is about forward progress. It's about looking into the future and where do you want to go and how do you get there by answering challenging, difficult questions, right? Or what we like to call open-ended empowering questions that really make you think. Um, where in, in I'll contrast it to therapy. Therapy is about looking backwards and solving problems that are things that occurred in your past in order for you to move forward. Therapy is great, right? But it's about solving a, something, most of the time related to a trauma of some sort that happened in your past. And you have to solve that problem in order to move forward. Coaching meets you where you are today in your current state. And then we look at where you want to go and we come up with ways for you to do it. Well, maybe I was just that. Hey, Sid, I was probably asking just for uh, selfish reasons. Okay. I probably should have said, um, all right, uh, males in Georgia that are 50 years old, what's the biggest gap? What do they need to focus on? <laughs> so you know what? I can boil it down, Mike. I can do that for you. What I would say, <laughs> um, and I think you're probably going to answer yes to a lot of these questions. Yeah. Are you doing what you love? I am. Are you doing it with the people that you love? I am. Are you supporting the community that you love? I'm just figuring that out now, Sid. I really am. Yeah. And so those are three really great coaching questions because people, a lot of those people come for coaching when they're confused or when they're not really sure about what they want to do or where they want to go or what their next step is. And, you know, and it was only when I became a certified coach did I truly understand the power of coaching and what coaching really was. And so 
But if you know the questions start with, do are you do you love what you do? If not, what do you love? Let's explore what what gets you up in the morning. I mean, we hear that question a lot, but what gets you up at the morning, right? And if you're not doing that, then you're not being fulfilled. So how do you get fulfilled? What is it we can discover through a coaching session that will help you get in alignment with where you want to go? That's great. That's great. I have. I have some friends, some peers. Uh, I'm so blessed. I'm in, a, I'm in a wonderful mastermind and we get together and I don't know where I'd be without my mastermind. But then we've almost even spun off. There's like small groups of us that kind of get together every other week and we'll do an hour together and just kind of these accountability groups. And it's so funny is that like sometimes Sid with these groups, I feel like I'm getting coached up so much because I might be in a lull or grinding or just not 100%. And then yesterday morning, I met with a friend that I think is like, an absolute rock star at the top of his game. He's 68 years old. He's done extremely well. And he kind of needed me to kind of help him up. You know, it was really, I was, I was, I kind of walked away from that breakfast going like, I actually brought something to the table. Cause I always felt like I was always taking in that relationship. And he was like, I really needed you. And he shot me a note, man. I really, really appreciated my mic time. So it happens. So, you know, what's important about what you just said, Mike, is that you're never too young or you're never too old to have a coach, to have a colleague that can support you, that can help you see things differently. Um, we all need it. And, you know, it's, it's important to embrace it. The problem is, is I think there's a bit of a stigmatism around it. And then there's, then there's the cost of coaching, right? What does it cost? How do I pay for it? How much does it cost? And a lot of people, when we talk about coaching, their first question is, what am I going to get out of it? And it's a great question, but do you know what the answer to that question is? Go ahead. What are you going to put into it? Because mm. you're only going to get out of coaching what you actually put into coaching. So if you cancel a session and don't show up, or you don't come prepared, or you and you don't, um, let's say in the session you're not present and you're not really engaged, then you're not going to get anything out of it. What you get out of coaching is what you put into it. And part of the reason people struggle with this is because coaching forces us to look internally and look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves. And as human beings, we hate to do that. Uh, Sid, 100% agree. I remember I've, I've kind of leveled up my, my masterminds I'm in. The one I'm in right now is $30,000 a year. And I told my wife recently, I said, I can't wait till I'm in a $100,000 mastermind. And she's right. like, $100,000 for coaching in a mastermind? Why would you ever want to be in a $100,000? i am like, yeah, because then I'm in there with other people that can afford a $100,000 mastermind. And like that whole concept of being able to pick the brains of people that can afford a $100,000 mastermind, they're, you know, I, I, I always put it like it's a marathon, right? And you always want to be on mile six and be around people that are on mile eight and kind of see, you know, how to get there. And, um, and, and as we've leveled up, I always try to seek out because my job is to learn as much as possible because I have, you know, 14 people on my team right now, Sid, that are counting on me for a paycheck every other week. And my job is to keep, keep again, like Disney said, you know, keep moving forward, right? I mean, that's what we do. Well, you just said it. The important thing about like a mastermind and continuing to step up is those masterminds, the people that are there, are helping you level up and you're helping them level up. Everybody in a mastermind contributes to each other's growth and development and each other leveling each other up. I mean, they are great 
Um, if you're not in a mastermind, I've been like listening to this. If you're not in a mastermind, you need to seek out people, like-minded people that you could become part of the mastermind with because they are phenomenal experience. Yeah, I, I think what I'm hearing a lot when it comes to masterminds, because everybody and their brother called it mastermind, right? So I'm hearing this, uh, I'm hearing people renaming it Think Tank. That's a good, actually, I like that too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, masterminds, I don't want to diminish the, what they do by changing the name, right? By any right. means, but it's basically a group of professionals, not from the same industry, helping other professionals and business owners and business leaders grow. But here's the thing it's not just your business growth, it's your personal growth. Mm. You can't discount the importance of personal growth as part of the master. Yeah, you'll appreciate this. I've got one. We had this conversation uh, about three or four times ago that we met and we we're like, ah, oh, we can't call us a mastermind. And there's four of us. And it's so funny. It's just we all kind of peeled off of this one other mastermind that we we're all part of. And um, it, it, we turned out all four of us are different faiths. One was Jewish, one was Hindu, one was Muslim, and I'm the Catholic, right? So we renamed it the Golden Nugget Golden Nuggets Prayer Group. <laughs> so that's our, we have our own, we call it the Golden Nuggets Prayer Group, and and we love each other. And I wish the world could see that uh, all we're doing is just trying to support and love each other. That's what we do in that group. Well, what you just described, I think, is another component of a really effective mastermind is bringing together people of diverse backgrounds mm -hmm. and diverse beliefs and showing the world how we can collaborate, even though you may not believe the same way. And that oh, has so hey, Sid, you know what? In that group, we all believe the same way. We love our companies, we love our people, we love each other, we love our families. So, I mean, I, when you think about the, the core of our constitutions are so aligned, you know, it's, uh, I think the Hindu, our, my Hindu friend may have it figured out better than most of us. I mean, that, if I could do it over, that that faith seems like a, a pretty good one. So, uh, hey, let's get in. Let's get into you. You and I could talk for hours. You know, I, we could Absolutely. probably do this once every six months and, and share great tips. But um, why don't you tell everybody something that not everybody knows about Sid Meadows? Something that not everyone knows about me. That's like a a, a really um, that's a really really great question. So I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna I'm gonna go way back to when I was in college. Okay, so and this is a little bit embarrassing. It's not professional related, right? But when I was in college, I actually danced on a TV show called The Hour of the Fifties. I love it, Sid. I really Please, did. I love I, it. I don't know this. Tell me more. My mother bowled because bowling was really good. My mother bowled with this other lady, and she was one of the co-hosts of this show called The Hour of the Fifties, and she said. We're looking for some boy dancers. Would your son be interested in dancing? So I did that for a couple of years in college. It was a lot of fun. It was just like a Saturday. It was a live show too. I, I love had, it. I had to learn how to dance because I have two left feet. But you now, know, if anybody, if anybody's watching this on YouTube, Sid is actually doing a couple of the dance moves right now. So that's pretty good. I didn't know you, Foxtrot and the Cha 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 mixed up. Well done, Sid. That's really good. I could remember how to do it now. <laughs> Sid, Sid, so your you mindset. You can't find the recordings of that TV show anywhere, so I'm grateful that they're not available because I've tried. So I actually tried it because I wanted to show my kids, and uh, I tried, and I can't find them anywhere, so I'm actually grateful. 
Oh no, it would be, it'd be absolutely wonderful. We would love it. I would love to find old videos of me trying to skateboard horribly, but you know, it happens. Hey, Sid, tell me about one, you are, you're so, I told you even before you came on, if, if you ever see Sid or you're ever around Sid, his, it's just contagious. His smile is contagious. Even though we're a thousand miles apart from each other right now, recording to this, I still feel your energy coming through. What do you do to keep that mindset so positive, Sid? You know, it's a really great question. So I think there's two things that you know fuel this. Um, one is coffee, not kidding, right? <laughs> coffee helps, right? No, um, honestly, in mindset, it's one of the things that people struggle with the most. And so, and I've learned this the hard way. Um, you know, there's two things, I guess. Be the energy that you want in the room. So if you want a negative energy in the room, you bring a negative energy. None of us really want that. But if you want a positive, upbeat energy in the room, you got to bring that. you got to show up that way, right? And so I show up energetically with a positive, with a positive attitude, upbeat, smile, because I want people around me to be that way as well. I want that to resonate with my clients. I want a client that comes onto a call with me that's having a, a horrible day and to be around me and believe and go, I'm, I'm better today because I was around that. I was around that level of energy. But to get there and keep that mindset, because it's what I mentioned earlier, being an entrepreneur is an up and down bumpy road. And so I've kind of come up with a series of questions to ask myself. So bad things happen, right, Mike? I mean, we lose a project. We have a customer that gets mad at us, whatever. I mean, those things happen. That's the natural part of business. So when something bad happens, I ask myself the question, um, I give myself the grace to deal with the issue, right? So, okay, hey, I have to I have to sit in this and I need to accept this. So I give my, that's grace, giving myself that grace to deal with it. But then I ask myself, how long am I gonna stay there? And how low am I gonna let this take me? Mm. I make it conscious choices to not let something ruin my day. But I give myself the grace and the gift to deal with it, but I'm not going to say that forever. So that's the other thing. And then well, that's one thing. And then the other thing is I ask myself the question, is this the person I want to be today? Is this that moment? Is this this person that I want to be today? And I find when I ask myself that question, the total mindset change. I'll give you an example. Um, Oh, this is a couple months ago. This is before lockdown. So this is a year. I had left my house to go get my afternoon coffee. And it's, the line to drive through is super long. And so I don't pull all the way up. I wait. Because if I pulled all the way up, I was blocking the driveway to the Starbucks so people couldn't get in and out of the parking lot, right? So I stopped and wait. I look at my rearview mirror, and this lady's like, making all these hand gestures and like throwing her hand up at me because I haven't moved into, into the line all the way. And what she does, she goes around me, she cuts up in the line. And I just <laughs> lost it. I pulled up next to her, blew my horn as loud as I could possibly do it, rolled my window down and yelled a few explicitives to her Sid, by the way, wait, wait, Sid, I'm going to interrupt. If you guys need a better visual, 
Sid drives a Prius. So when he pulled up, it went, and then Sid's idea of expletives is Jiminy Christmas, Jiminy Christmas, daggummit. So I just need you guys to know. Yeah, just go ahead, Sid. And so I literally, I squealed out of the park, and, and I was in a, a big SUV, okay, right? So okay. I squealed out of the park, and I, the poor lady, her husband just sitting in the passenger seat, just like his head down. <laughs> and I got to the red light. I mean, it's like, you know, just I squealed out, got to the red light, and I sat there for a minute, and I said to myself, is that the person I'm going to be? Is that who I want to be? And that immediate answer was no. I was upset. I got triggered. I didn't get triggered about the coffee. I got triggered about the fact that I was trying to be a nice guy and wait and this impatient person behind me. And I let her dictate my behavior, which is awful. And so it took me about 30 minutes. I got my mind back in the right place and I went about my day. But it all starts with, is this the person I want to be today? And am I showing up that way? Wow. That's so powerful. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. It's a good reminder for anybody that's listening, you know, like maybe there is something that's kind of nagging you. Maybe it's that one thing that wakes you up at one o'clock in the morning. You know, um, that's the, one of the, actually it was a mindset I heard recently Sid, and it was one of those, uh, and it happens to everybody, probably anybody that's listening to this has woken up at one o'clock thinking about a project or, or a client or, or something. And they said to themselves, they, they coach themselves up in the middle of the night and they go, you know what? My body knows the sleep that it needs. And if my body needs more sleep, it'll go back to sleep. And I use that, I use that trick in the middle of the night and it, that tends to help me. But when you were saying that, you know, Jack Nicholas, you know, the greatest golfer of all time, and arguably the greatest golfer of all time, Jack Nicholas. But um, Jack said he always gave himself five steps to be upset after a bad shot. Oh yeah. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't that, what if we did that in life, Sid? What if, what if we said, all right, you know what? I can be upset for five steps. I can be as mad as I want for five steps, but that sixth step, I'm on my next shot. And the message is move past it. Mm -hmm. Don't let it control you. Move past it. However you move past it, five steps, giving yourself the gift or the grace to deal with it, whatever it is, move past it. I love it. When you don't do it, you're giving the other person the control. I know. They are taking the control. You're giving away control, and you don't want to do that. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to finish up. I, I want you to recommend a book. Um, again, most people that listen to this podcast, I'm, a, I'm addicted to, to learning, and I can't wait to hear what book you want to recommend for us, Sid. So I mentioned three of them earlier when we were having our chat before, <clears throat> but can I rec I'm going to recommend a different one. You only get one. What's the one, Sid? So I'm going to recommend a book called Forged in Crisis. Oh, here, I, I know we're on video, Mike, but I'll hold it up for you. Okay. Forged, Forged in, crisis. in Crisis. And it's by Nancy Cohan. And she is a professor at Harvard University. And I had the privilege to listen to her speak at the 360 conference in January 2020 before the lockdown happened. And this book is about the power of courageous leadership in turbulent times. And it tells the story of four different leaders in history um, and how what they went through in history, how it's relevant today. And even though I listened to her talk about this prior to the shutdown, 
what she talks about in this book is super relevant for leaders as they're trying to lead their companies through this and on the other side of this. I mean, she she talks about Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, Dietrich Bonhoeff. But my favorite character, my favorite person that she talks about in this book is um, Ernest Shackleton, the um, English explorer that attempted and um, multiple times and never accomplished it to cross the South Pole and to go to Antarctica. But every time he went, his people always went with him. He put a call out to go do this impossible task and everybody that went before signed up to go again, knowing that it was likely a life or death kind of situation. And the message that can be learned and what you can learn and take away and implement in today's world from somebody who lived in the 1900s and listening to Nancy tell the story about it, it's absolutely powerful. So if you're a leader, an aspiring leader, you've got challenges in your business, read Forge Data Crisis. It will help you understand how to lead your business through what's going on in the world today. I love it, Sid. Sid, I'd go, I would try to uh, cross the South Pole with you, brother. I would do it. <laughs> sounds kind of like fun. Let's go, man. Let's it, it, it sounds like fun. All right, Sid, what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wanted to reach out and connect? Um, two ways. You um, Obviously, I'm like, I'm sure you're putting that email address in there. Feel free to email me. Um, but I'm a huge LinkedIner. So if you're out on LinkedIn, send me a message. Send me a note. I tell my podcast listeners that rules of LinkedIn are, if I don't know you and you're connecting with me and you've heard me on Mike's podcast, shoot me a note that says, hey, I listened to you on Mike's podcast, really enjoyed it. That lets me know how you found me and why you're connecting with me. But LinkedIn is my favorite social platform. So uh, feel free to connect with me there. And I'm always sharing content and relevant information out there as well. I, I, I'll tell you what, you made my day, Sid. I love talking to you. I I, I really do. I, I If anybody knows Sid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are your absolute joy and a gift to the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's been my pleasure to be here today, buddy. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. Be sure to join the conversation on our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.